1: Everybody, welcome to the 2020 Fantasy Football Podcast for the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. This year, uh, we're being brought to you by the folks at Dynasty Owner and FanDraft. Uh, Chris and I are going—I'm Jeff Erickson, by the way—and Chris and I are going to be podcasting at you every Monday. Uh, I'll be with you on Wednesdays as well with the rotating guests, kind of like we do with baseball. Uh, and we're going to have five podcasts a week, so we're excited about uh, launching this coverage. Uh, today we're going to do something a little different Instead of doing a news and notes version We'll have plenty of time for some of that, that stuff down the road But for this one we want to make it a little bit more evergreen uh, We imagine you, most of you listening Are probably not like a lot of people That are have been doing like best ball 10 since March or April Maybe you have because of the shutdown But most people who play fantasy football uh, they, They're approaching it like Okay, what do I do in my draft this year? How am I handling this? Uh, and no, how am I looking at this? And I thought we'd do this from a standpoint of how are we going to, how do we prep for a fantasy football season? How do we get started? How do we come across our rankings? You know, and there's, there's a lot of ways to approach it. So Chris and I, and Chris runs all of our rankings at Rotowire. Chris, first of all, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Jeff. Long time no speak. Yeah, I know. It's at least been at least three minutes uh, since we just finished XM. But, uh, yeah, we are super excited about uh, doing this one because – well, not super excited. I don't want to overstate the case. But we're excited about this one because I think it's, it's – We're marginally, marginally uh, confused. We're buying into the concept. How about that? Uh, so, Chris, I want to – when you, you do our rankings, you run the ship basically. You know, Thorne does a lot of the coordinating stuff for you for the magazine. But you set the tone. Uh, When you go about, like, setting your rankings for the season, what's the first thing that you do?
2: So, honestly, it's super simple. I don't want to, like, you know, betray, like, you know, the Wizard of Oz. It's just a dude with the thing behind there. You know, you see, oh, wow, that's all it is. I just have uh, Herb or whoever build me a spreadsheet-type thing to enter my projections into, and I just have last year's stats above it. So I have exactly what everyone did last year. And I just basically consider the guy, regress them a bunch. So, like, if somebody had 5.2 yards per carry, uh, like Mark Ingram or whatever, I'll give him, like, 4.7. He's still playing next to Lamar Jackson, but 5.2 is an outlier type of number. Now, maybe it should be ridiculously high because it's such an advantage. So, I'll regress, like, the outlier things, and I'll adjust everybody for their new situation. Everybody's a year older. Uh, Some guys lost offensive linemen. Some guys gained offensive linemen. Some guys got more competition for targets, et cetera. So I just look at last year's, I don't use three year averages for baseball. That might work, but for football three years ago is like, that's That's another eternity. Yeah. Running backs last
1: three years in many cases,
2: quarterback, you could do a little, but I have a good memory. I I know who these guys are. Uh, So I, you know, I know if last year's stats are an anomaly, or I think they're an anomaly because things were you know, Odell Beckham or whatever last year and the situation he was in or Mayfield, even, So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll adjust more strongly a lot of guys than others. It's not, there's no uniform process, but I just look at last year's stats, get a baseline. I just have done this for so long that I know kind of who gets a lot of yards per target, yards per carry, uh, yards per catch, uh, which running backs tend to catch more. You know, I, I just, I know what to project you know, within reason. And then, uh, then I do something else. So that's one thing. It's very basic. It's not rocket science.
1: Do you positive? I mean, do you positively regress as well? Someone comes off a unusually bad season gets unlucky with touchdowns, et cetera.
2: Yeah. Like Mike Williams, he had 10 touchdowns on 66 targets. And then he had eight 40 yard catches last year. And like just a handful of touchdowns, two touchdowns or something. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll regress people positively and negatively just, you know, I'm not like a, you know, everybody needs to be at the average thing because I do think there's guys with unique skill sets that shouldn't be regressed as thoroughly as others, but, um, that you have to regress crazy outliers unless there's a really, really good reason not to. And then, uh, and then the other thing I do is I fudge the rankings. Like a lot of people, like their rankings add up perfectly. Like the quarterback has 4,200 yards and all of his receivers, including the third tight end who gets 62 yards, all of those receiving numbers add up to exactly 4,200 yards because obviously every uh, receiving yard is also a passing yard. I don't do that. I will probably have my receivers have more yards than the quarterbacks because I'm projecting healthy seasons. So I'll give, well, I'll give every running back 15 games, but I'll, you know, every realistic running back 15 games, but, um, but like on average, they're going to miss probably more than one game you know, but I'll just give them their healthy season if they're not dealing with a preexisting injury, because that's how we draft. We're drafting for the year-end numbers that we're hoping to get in a healthy season. Yes, there's a chance that a guy plays four games and has a totally destroyed season, but why put that into his healthy numbers? It doesn't really, that, that we all know what that looks like. We all know what that means. We all know what disaster is. It's not really giving us information to make the mean projection include that. I just think that's sort of a that's sort of a crutch that gives you more accurate projections if you're in a projections contest, but doesn't make better rankings. So I'll, I'm fine with having everybody stay a little bit healthier than they should, you know, as far as the projections go, because I'm not going to predict specific injuries beyond the, just the most incredibly injury prone guys. And then uh, secondly, um, I will um, project so that your so that it's, you know, helps your draft. So I will take a guy who's a a 10th round dish projection but who is he's a 10th round as projection, meaning his average is about 10th round, but that he's a guy that either could be a, you know, a top three round guy or do nothing. I will project that guy to be an eighth round guy, which is actually what's going to happen in the high stakes contest. Those guys get pushed up two rounds because people want the possibility of winning the league with them. And I will take the guy who's sort of the James white, who is probably projected to be an eighth round guy and move that guy down to the 10th round, uh, and fudge his projections low because there's no chance that he wins your league for you. So that's, I, I, I pull those shenanigans. Uh, it, and it's at the expense of the overall accuracy of the set, but hopefully uh, enhances the usefulness of the cheat sheet.
1: Yeah. And that was going to be my next question though, is like, which comes first, the projection or the ranking
2: projections come first. And then it generates rankings, and then I look at the rankings and I'm like, oh no no no, uh, James White's too high. I got to reduce his catches. Um, and then I'll say, well, this guy's, because here's the thing: in the first couple of rounds, you want floor. Floor is the most important thing. But as right. you get to round three, four, five, six, it's like, okay, maybe a little bit of ceiling, decent floor. And then as you get to round seven through ten or twelve, it's all ceiling. You know, especially thirteen, fourteen, whatever. So you're going to have to make the projections for the ceiling guys better than you would bet on in Vegas. And you have to make the projections for the late round floor guys worse than you would bet on in Vegas. At the top of the draft, it's kind of the opposite a little bit. I think it's like 40% ceiling and 60% floor in round one. I think it's about 50, 50 in round two and three. And then beyond that, it's the ceiling takes over.
1: Okay. That, that makes sense. Um, so, and you know, th- it's always one of those things I kind of want to – like in baseball, you know, I, I start with the projection that gives me my rough rankings. But then obviously yep. I do a lot of tweaking. I'm like, oh, I don't want that. Um, you know, it, you know I, I don't want to deal with that at all. Uh, so I, I won't you – know, uh, you know, or I don't want to – you know, I, I do a draft and I find that the guy is dropping. Does that happen to you in football a lot? Do you find that like, OK, I've done my, my projections. I've done my rankings even. Now let's, now you jump in your first draft and you just see that guy and he, you know, you're a pick 48 and he's 30 on your, your rankings and you still don't want to take him. Does that happen? How often does that happen to you?
2: It happens sometimes, but it's usually the James white guy. That's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I have James white for 65 catches and full PPR. So he's, you know, checks in at number 30, but I don't want to take him there over, you know, Ronald Jones or over somebody who could be a starter who could like, break out on a, you know, potentially good offense. So, uh, so then I'll just lower him. And again, it's not that the projection for James White or Tariq Cohen, Tariq Cohen maybe has more upside for other reasons this year, but that the projection is necessarily wrong. It's just that I don't want to be right about my projection and wrong about my draft advice guidance. Right. That's the problem. I, I think too many projectors are like, Oh, nailed it. Got the mean projection. That's a, that's his mean projection. Look what he's done the last couple of years. Situation's the same. going to give him last year's numbers. Yeah, but do you think he should be drafted there? There's a couple of things that, that you got to keep in mind when you're drafting. One is, okay, so, so first off, upside matters, downside doesn't in a certain round. A 10th-round guy living up to a 10th-round ADP is a cut pretty much, or at least for some of the year. Uh, so all that matters is what he might do well. You don't have to worry about the downside. The downside doesn't exist for a player like that. Second thing is you're trying to win your league. Now, you're trying to make the playoffs – NFBC is a little different where only a couple teams make the playoffs. You're trying to win your league there. And, you know, it's not like investing in stocks or any commodity where you're like, well, if we did an investment portfolio contest or, or we did a stock investing contest with real money and you finished 12th and I finished 7th or we're just talking about our personal portfolios, like you finishing 12th where you lost everything and you wiped out your family's savings
1: which I do every Cat, year. Yes.
2: Uh, yes. Uh, well, a real real man does do that, obviously.
1: Dalton does um, that every year. Oh no uh, wait, he's no, not even Dalton's here. Nulles Why monkey. are we picking on
2: Dalton? I don't know. Just no. That nutless monkey doesn't do that. a right. Real man would. It, it feels right to pick on Dalton, but a real man does you know lose it all. But you know a catastrophic loss of your life savings in twelfth place out of the twelve people who are investing, versus seventh place where I'm making you know, uh, you know modest returns, but it's okay. Is you know, there's a massive gulf between those two outcomes, but in fantasy football, 12th and seventh are the same. Right. So, you know, you know, so there's two things going. One is that the the guys below a certain point, the floor doesn't matter. And secondly, in, in a certain case, especially in FFC, where it's really top heavy, if if your team isn't great, thanks for playing. There's no point. So, um, you know, I, I just think cheat sheets, Cheat sheets are wrong. Like cheat sheets should not be a thing. People are like, oh, enter your cheat sheet into a cheat sheet projections contest. That's the (laughs) dumbest thing ever. Cheat sheets are not supposed to be a standalone thing. They're not the product. The product is the rankings, is the draft list. And so the only reason we have cheat sheets, what we really would be better off doing is having a draft list. Here's how I would draft, not projections. Sorry, cheat sheets. That's, I totally botched that. It's not the cheat sheets that are the thing. Cheat sheets are good. They're the draft list. Projections are not a thing. I was just going to say if
1: cheat sheets are bad, you know, projections have to be way worse. No, but I I think your point is kind of true, though, in a way. Cheat sheets can be bad. I mean, especially because, you know, cheat sheets tied to projections, I mean, can be very misleading. I think sometimes they help you at a position in a certain format.
2: You know, and that. That, that, Go ahead. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Sorry. I, I, I meant to say cheat sheets, but I meant projection based cheat sheets. That's what I meant to say. I shouldn't have just said cheat sheets. What you want is a, a a rankings list, a draft list. Okay. And projections are able to generate those, but projections are stupid. Okay. They're just mean projections. They don't mean anything. They're just averages. They're not how to draft. As I said, you want upside at a certain point in your draft. And so all these people do, do projections. Why do I even bother doing projections for run It's stupid. They're not helpful for drafting. Why do I have to fudge them and fake them to get them in draft shape? Well, there's only one reason I'd be better off just doing a, a, a manual cheat sheet. Problem is not everybody plays the same format, right? Some people play PPR. Some people play half PPR, non PPR. Some people, um, have all sorts of weird scoring where it's quarterback, you know, attempts, whatever, all this stuff. And so I just cannot, we cannot credibly maintain 50 different cheat sheets to deal with the 50 most common types of leagues. It would just be a ridiculous task. So we cheat. We have a shortcut. We do projections and then you can customize those to any cheat sheet you want. And that's a much better solution than writing up and maintaining 50 separate cheat sheets. That's why everybody does it. There's no point otherwise. But what happened was people got into doing projections and they put the cart before the horse and they thought, Oh my projections based cheat sheet. I'm going to enter that into a contest. I want to win the contest. And now we're basing who's got the most accurate mean projections that is not relevant to your draft. Your draft must be based on who to pick where, based on upside and downs, floor and ceiling, in the context of the round that you're in. So, you know, so that, so that's where we're at. So you got to fake them. Otherwise, I think yeah, you're going to have a really uh, sharp cheat sheet. You have a sharp projection set, but you're not going to be winning people leagues.
1: Right. Um,
2: and that's you know
1: that that's clearly going to be. You know, a big you know that's it. the context is so important with that. It's clearly a big deal. Frankly, I think you need to have the fly Chris out to your house method there of ranking. But you know, say no, take that guy. Real man takes that guy. You know, you're not that looks monkey for taking
2: that guy. I, I have known to browbeat people into great success. Yeah, uh, I know poker that, is your uh, best forum for that. Oh, uh, I do that. Yeah, with Rick Wolf and then Servo, I browbeat him into uh, being a world champion uh, college hoops NCAA drafter. And, you know, Dalton Del Don has done pretty well for us in the uh, League of Leagues. He's done all right because I've browbeaten him. So, you know, some people need tough love. Your charms haven't worked over to the Super Contest just yet. No. He destroyed us two years ago. We had a chance. Uh, He destroyed you. uh, Yeah, he destroyed us. I had a good year. (laughs) We we, did this, Yes. (laughs) But, uh, no, you know, it's some people need the tough love. They don't always appreciate it in the time. But it's one of those things where 30 years from now they're going to say, you know what, that's the teacher I learned from, you know. That guy, that teacher who hit me with the ruler, that's the guy I learned from.
1: Right. Um, before, I want to kind of go down by positions, kind of what you're looking for a certain position. Before we do that, though, quick note from our sponsor, Dynasty Owner. I've been looking for a new challenge, which is why I'm playing Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football this season. Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office. Dynasty Owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries Adding the strategy of running an NFL franchise, Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenge for die-hard fantasy football fanatics. Go to dynastyowner.com/rotowire. Leagues are forming now. That's dynastyowner.com/rotowire. We've all been in a league where the winner just got lucky. If you're like me and know you're better than most, Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. Dynasty over favors skilled players who can manage their roster using NFL, real NFL salaries within the salary cap. It also adds an entirely new level of strategy. Go to DynastyOwner.com slash roto Validate your fantasy football skills. That's DynastyOwner.com slash roto Dynasty Owner, start your dynasty today. All right, Chris. Uh, we'll start with the wide receiver because that's what you, you focus a lot on in the mag. It's probably the first thing you probably do, I'm guessing, when, when you're doing position rankings. Is that true? Is that what you... Rank first, nope. or do you go by quarterback first? Where, nope. where do you go first when you're doing your rankings?
2: Well, so this year, you know, now football is a year-round thing. So right. Pete was like, I "Think we can do the projections by February 1st. I'm like, "Yeah, I guess. I guess I could. It's the same amount of work." And so I did, or maybe it was like mid-January. I don't I remember. It was crazy early. I already had the, the like the rough draft of them. They obviously changed a ton on the draft. Mm-hmm. NFL draft changed them more. So I just do. I just did the projections, and then. Um, I start just writing up the wide receivers. Like in March, I start just writing up one a day just so I can like ease into it. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm really in depth in the wide receivers. And then like, you know, I have the projections for the running backs and other people write the running backs. So it takes me like another month before I really am deep into the running backs the same way I am with the wide receivers. The QBs are pretty easy. You know, you know, the QBs are, they're kind of obvious and tight ends. You know, there's, 15 of them, 20 of them. Um, but yeah, it's really receivers and running backs are where most of the work goes. So I do, I do like learn the receiver pool better and earlier, and, and I'm playing catch up with the running backs until about March, April.
1: OK, so let, let's, let's look for it. What, are the, you know, what matters to you the most when you're looking at wide receivers? Is there a particular skill? Is there a particular stat? Uh, is, is it just something, okay, I see it, I know it, or is it, is there something that you, you in in particular are looking for when you're like, you know, it it makes a guy stand out
2: to you? Now, I think every player, there's four things, right? There's health opportunity, um, team context and, uh, and skills. And so you, you, those things aggregate to the guy's ranking. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you look at a guy, obviously, you know, if he has a health history, that's something. Um, the skills are, it's not just speeds, you know, there's the raw skills, like the speed, size, quickness, you know, the long arms, leaping ability, athleticism, all that stuff. But then there's also like route running and hands and some, you know, intelligence. Those are all skills kind of, I, I, lumped those under skills and then it's like, okay, well, how many, tar- you know, what's his role? How how, how many targets is he get? And then the, the team context, which is who's throwing the ball to him, who is, um, Who's blocking for the quarterback? That's throwing. You know, there, there's four things that really aggregate. So you, you would never just say it's just one of those, or they all matter. They, they all matter, and different guys you you might emphasize different. Like Michael Thomas to me is just opportunity in team context is just incredible. He's been very durable, and he's got great skills in a in a narrow sense. He's not fast. He's big, but he's not that physical. Um, he's a great route runner. Great hands. But it's his skills, how they fit into the team context. It's Breeze loves the short pass. Peyton loves that in that offense going to Thomas. It's just a perfect situation for him. Is he as skilled as Odell Beckham, in my opinion? No. A healthy Odell Beckham? No. But, what, you know, Michael Thomas is clearly the, in his own tier as a number one receiver just because of the, the combination of things. Right.
1: Uh, and and I, I, I think the tough part is estimating opportunity every year. Sometimes we think like, okay, well, he's got, you know, he's had it these last couple of years. Well, now they got Emmanuel Sanders. Maybe his opportunities go down a little bit, but maybe it doesn't. And some, you know, a lot of that is we think, think, you know, we, we tend to think like, oh, okay, we've got a little bit of a beat on that, but that's not necessarily true.
2: Well, Thomas is like one of the most sure things in, I mean, watch him bust now that I have him and I'm saying this Mm -hmm. because Durable short passes. There's not a lot of variance. There's variance if you're you know going down the field because a couple of those a couple extra deep balls change your stats dramatically. Michael Thomas, the short passes, he catches balls at a rate that nobody in the history of of football has ever done. You know, I mean, he catches passes at a running back-esque rate. You know, 85 percent he's catching as a wideout. So it's just pitch and catch. It's so easy. They're so close. He and Breeze, and, and they know each other so well. I mean, they're not close, like, friendly. Maybe they are. But it's just that Michael Thomas is literally standing very close to him. 7.7 <laughs> average depth of target. So it's like this is not a long throw for Breeze or a hard thing to complete. And you're in a PPR. It's just he's very hard to guard because you're not – he's not beating you down the field. He's just getting open in a short area. So it's just a very easy thing to execute. And it's not also going to kill the other team when they do execute. So the team will live with it. You know, it's it's – so it's just, it's just the best of all worlds. Um, it would be great if he could go deep, but it would always be worse because you wouldn't get you know, just this easy PPR, steady drumbeat of, of points racked up. And so it's just, he's just far and away the, the safest player on the board at any position and knock on wood.
1: When you're trying to find sleepers, when you're trying to find – or, or maybe even guys that are going to take the leap, you know guys that don't have that one year of great performance so far, what are you looking for?
2: Uh, well, I mean, opportunity is the sort of thing you, you have to have, but a lot of times it's like, well, we don't know. Somebody has got to step up. We don't know. Maybe, you know, there's an opportunity for an opportunity. There's opportunity, like how many targets did he get? There's opportunity, like he can make it happen and get targets if he performs well. And so you look for that. There's got to be some chance, you know, some plausible path. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the team context is part of the plausible path, right? Does he have a quarterback that's competent? Does he have a coach who's going to throw the ball? Uh, and, and, you know, was there a dominant target hog apart, you know, across from him. So he has no chance. And then, you know, skills. So what kind of, what are skills? They're varied, right? I mean, lately with the new NFL rules and the way the NFL has played, it's been small guys were quick with good hands. They don't even have to be that fast guys who can get open suddenly, you know, Antonio Brown, who ran a four or five, seven, he looks a lot faster than that. You know, was the dominant receiver in the last decade, whereas it used to be the Calvin Johnson's, Andre Johnson's, Larry Fitzgerald's and all big, you know, Brandon Marshall's, there's all these big monstrous receivers. And now it's guys who are just quick route runners and, uh, reliable targets. So sometimes that's the skill. Sometimes it's being DK Metcalf, who was terrible agility skills, which made him fall to the end of the second round last year, but his basically on his size and speed, Julio Jones with 10 more pounds of muscle. And Julio Jones is a freak among freaks, a generational freak. And imagine Metcalf with the same speed as Julio Jones, but 10 more pounds of muscle. That is just an insane freak. So, you know, someone like that too, that that's obviously he's not like a sleeper, but just talking about having off the charts, physical skills.
1: How about the other side of the coin there? Who, how do you go about finding wide receiver fades? You know, guys that are going on un- overdrafted. Is it, Is it target based? Is it there's a skill that's missing? What is it for you that's the biggest red flag when you're looking at a wide receiver and you think, ah, he's going, he's going to third. I don't have, I have no interest in taking him there. What is that one thing that makes you kind of shy away from a guy?
2: So it wouldn't be one thing, right? It's that four, there's four factors, right? Health, role, team context and skills. So it's some combination thereof that's just, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the price is not commensurate with with those skills. And so like Robert Woods, people have him in the top 20. Now there's great opportunity there because they let go of Brandon cooks, but Robert Woods had two touchdowns last year. I think he had a rushing touchdown also. And people like, Oh, that'll regress. Regress to what? He had six, the year the Rams offense was amazing. And you know I mean? Like he had six in his good year. He's just not going to score touchdowns and he's not going to make downfield get behind the defense for a 70 yard touchdown either. He doesn't get red zone looks. So the touchdowns are not a, a fluke. He, he, he's not going to score and he's not going to make big plays. You're hoping for 100 rushing yards if you're lucky. Receiving yards? No, rushing yards. 100 rushing yards. Oh, total. I thought you meant in a ga- given game. No. You're hoping for 100 rushing yards on the season to boost his stats he sweeps. needs that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're hoping for 90 catches. Okay, fine. He'll get 90 catches and he'll get some rushing yards. He'll get a 1,000 yards receiving, four touchdowns or whatever, five touchdowns at best. To me, that's not a top twenty receiver when DJ Chark is on the board, when Terry McLaurin's on the board, when Devontae Parker's on the board, when AJ Brown is often on the board. Give me one of these guys who's got a, a skill set where they can score, you know, eight or ten touchdowns, where they can make a, a fifty yard touchdown, where they can be, you know, one of the top receivers in the entire league. Okay.
1: Fair enough. How about rookies? You know, rookies are always, you know, this year in particular, it's got to be really hard with rookies. I think the common advice that's been given is they're, they're going to, they're, you know, it's going to take, it's going to be harder for them to adjust. Uh, they're going to have fewer reps. It's, it's a real problem. Uh, is there anything that changes, you know, changes that matrix for you a little bit there? Or is it just, is, are you discounting them across the board?
2: So the problem with, I mean, rookie receivers last year were very good. There were a lot of really productive rookies. Mm-hmm. Um AJ Brown was a you know a league winner in the second half. You know, Terry McLaurin was really helpful in the first half. DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, there were a ton of Marquise Brown, there were a lot of good rookie receivers. Typically receivers take more time than other positions. Tight end's the worst, but receivers often take a little time to get acclimated. Um usually year two is when they break out. And so now you have no offseason to speak of uh, probably a truncated and weird preseason. I I think it's going to be hard. And then you look at the top receivers, you know, Jerry Judy is, you know, paired with drew Locke, and they have Cortland Sutton there already. So to me, that's not a great situation for him. Uh, CD lamb, it's better. They throw a lot in Dallas and, but he's still the number three receiver coming in. There's a lot of targets vacated by Randall Cobb. So CD lamb is, is all right. Um, Henry Ruggs, I just think that's a bad situation, uh, for a bunch of reasons, just one of many guys there. And it's, it's just, it's hard to see him doing much at all. So I don't, you know, Jalen Rieger, maybe could have a good year, but there's not, there's no floor there. There's a, so you can see the ceiling maybe if he becomes the clear number one, but there's just not great rookie receivers situations right now. And then you add the COVID thing. I don't really have a lot of those guys. Right. OK. Uh, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, you know there's going to be someone
1: that probably emerges somewhere. Uh, sure. And then there's, there's a lot of talent in this draft class. You know, there, you know it's so been I'm rumored told. to be one of the best wide receiver classes in a while, though we had a great one last year.
2: Yeah, I don't, not, nothing's going to top 2014, but last year's was pretty damn ridiculous. Right. And on paper, this year's
1: was supposed to actually be better. It's just last year's kind of overachieved which is kind of interesting, but uh, we'll see. Uh, let's move on to running backs. So, you know, you've done all the write-ups on the wide receivers. Uh, you've done your rankings on the running backs, but then you kind of look and read what everybody's done on the write-ups for the running backs. How much, after you read up on what they've said, does that change your opinion?
2: Yeah, it's it's not so much reading about what they've said. It's It's sort of seeing my sort of out-of-the-box rankings, like, okay, here's what they did last year here's what I know about the new situation. Boom. I've got a projection. It's got a ranking. I look at the ranking. I say, I don't really love this ranking. I'm going to move this around a little bit and I've got my list, but I haven't, it hasn't been, I haven't gone into the depth that I did with the receivers by writing them up, like going into deep stats. Mm -hmm. And that takes another month to do that kind of stuff. And it it happens mostly because, um, I look at 80, but what happens is basically my, Receivers, I feel pretty confident versus ADP. I'll move it still a little bit just to regress it toward ADP sometimes. But um, the running backs, when I'm divergent based on ADP, I'll usually think I'm, I'm probably missing some information. And so whenever I'm missing, I'll, I'll I start to research all of it and I start to see ah that's what they like about this guy. And with like Jarek McKinnon, sorry, not, well Jarek McKinnon, I have higher than everybody, and most and I have lower than most people. And I saw the reasons people were ranking Mostert high, and I didn't move him. I was right. like, no. Sometimes
1: you'll stick to your guns. I mean, sometimes you think,
2: oh, they're just wrong. Right. I just don't agree with, with the reasoning. But there's some guys that I've definitely moved up uh, you know, higher than I had them And after reading some stuff. Or some guys I've dropped that I had a bit higher, too.
1: Right. And maybe in some cases you, like, just double down. I'm going to move them even lower. Screw it. But uh, I, can, I can see that happening, too, sometimes. Uh, who's someone you moved this year up?
2: Well, there's just guys I thought about more. Like Melvin Gordon I kinda like more than I originally did. I think that Lindsay is is like kind of a nice player, but he's more of a backup and Gordon's gonna be a bell cow for the most part. I don't love that he may not catch the passes he did with Rivers there, but I moved him up a little bit. I moved up James Conner. He's healthy now and he's such a workhorse when he uh w- you know, when he's healthy on the rare occasion he's healthy. I moved down Le'Veon Bell and Fournette. Fournette the sign of Chris Thompson doesn't bode well for Fournette. Obviously, after the draft, I moved Singletary down. I really like Singletary where he is at around 20, and and he's available there. A couple other guys, I moved uh, Mark Ingram up. Although I I actually liked Ingram, but I moved him up more. Um, I moved. Well, actually, I always had Ronald Jones higher than everybody, and I never moved Keyshawn Vaughn up. I moved up uh, Darius Geis was a guy I moved up. I I was really low on him. I running back rookie running back that just misses the is it two years he missed or. Year and a half or something. I mean, he's he's been at it a bit. So did he miss his rookie year, and then he barely came back last year. So, um, Geis, I was sort of like most of those guys never make it. But then right. people are high on him, and um, and so I feel like okay, then I'll just I'll move him up a little bit. Maybe you know maybe they know something I don't. Maybe Geis is really that kind of talent that you know okay. if he is finally healthy, he could do it. So there are a couple of guys like that. Geis is the guy I moved up. Okay.
1: Um, do you use the same four factors? Is there anything else special that you do with running backs?
2: No, not really. It's those four factors. I always have a fifth factor and it's just sort of my instinct about a player, which is, do I get nervous when I'm about to hit draft, even though on my cheat sheet, he's right where I'm supposed to draft him. So that's just something. And then I kind of heed that and, you know, it's still within reason, but I like Kenyon Drake, I just have a little bit of nervousness about drafting him. Everything on paper should be okay. He's just a little bit older now, and he, every coach, even the smart coach in Miami, you know, kind of gave up on me. Six-one, genius two, coach. 11.
1: What are you talking about? Yeah. Genius. Let's, let's let's give him proper credit
2: there. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about uh, Adam Gaze. I'm talking about um, you know, what's I his know. name, the new guy in uh, Miami. Anyway, but Kenny Drake. He's now 26, uh, so he's not that young anymore. He's six-one, two-eleven, which is kind of a low BMI for a, a real bell cow running back and these coaches soured on him. And so, uh, yeah, Brian Flores is the guy escaping. Right. Um, and then, uh, so an Eckler too. I, I just think like it's kind of out of nowhere. Uh, he's got great skills, but rivers loves the check down guy. You know, with rivers, there was you know, Darren Sproles had monster years. He, you know, I, I don't know how much and Sproles also was good with breeze, but you know, you have two of the, the top like check down quarterbacks, I don't know how much Eckler is going to do well with his, a rookie and, and Tyrod Taylor. And, and you know, so the guys like that, I just like feel like I can't draft confidently where their ADP is. So I, I move them down a little bit. I moved Aaron Jones ahead of them. Right. Okay. Good to know. Uh,
1: quick other note from, uh, our, our second read today, our friends at fan draft, take your league's fancy football draft to the next level with fan draft, the online fancy football draft board. Fan draft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft. With features such as a streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more, FanDraft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector or onto a large-screen TV for the league to enjoy. It can also be used fully online, and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely. You can perform both traditional and auction-style drafts. FanDraft also supports IDPs, Rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any customization to meet your league's requirements. You can sign up for a free trial account at Fandraft.com. When you're ready to order the pro account, make sure to use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's Fandraft.com, and use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15%. Thanks to Fandraft for sponsoring us. We do appreciate that there. Let's move on to quarterbacks. Quarterbacks, uh, obviously the first thing you have to check on is is it a uh, super flex or is it a standard league in the
2: terms of the number of quarterbacks you draft. Yeah, the super flex changes everything, right? It yeah. it, it opens the door to strategies that you know, there's very basic strategies in in regular 1 QB leagues. I mean, we all kind of know wait on quarterback unless one of the game changers falls more than he should. Um everyone kind of knows what to do. It's mostly running back wide receiver, some combination thereof, but you get two QBs and all of a sudden there's scarcity there. And do you you pay up no matter what, which I think you mostly should do. But then what happens in a lot of auctions, at least that I've been in is people don't value the, the scrub QBs as much as they should. They don't value the, uh, you know, Derek, Derek cars of the league. They don't value guys with a job who can get you, you know, 24 touchdowns in a a year, 4,000 yards. And so because those guys are cheap, you don't want to pay 40 bucks for, you know, Russell Wilson, when someone's getting Derek Carr for three bucks, Derek Carr should go for 13 bucks. And then you're perfectly happy paying 40 for Russell Wilson. But because everyone has been raised in a one QB mentality, um, the, the market sometimes, you know, doesn't reflect the actual performance value of these guys. So, but it is, you know, it's a whole different game, uh, makes everything different. And so. Um, I think it's fun to do them. I, I still like the one QB format, but I, I think the two QB just opens up a whole different level of strategy.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I find that in Superflex leagues that the more experienced the league has been at Superflex, it, it flips the other direction. They, they, they become maybe, maybe not overvalued, but they become valued uh, at least
2: properly. I don't know, man. In A lot of those you know, Vegas drafts we had, like second QBs were still three bucks at the end, you know, those cheap late QBs and, and I was, I was always pissed at first. I was pissed. And then I just stopped buying really expensive quarterbacks. You didn't do it. the
1: one last July. And that one, I felt like they, they went a little higher, but that I might've been too early on that, that wait Maybe you have to be really patient and get You know, you get those like third tier quarterbacks instead. But, uh, I found like I used to be able to get the two middle tier guys for 10 to 12 a piece. I'd be, you know, and, the, those guys can often end up being top five quarterbacks at times, but not not you know not always and not not at least not last year it wasn't that way you know I, but then again you know it, it happens uh, maybe you just have to wait till the very end and then just got to feel the market that's also auctions are also their own environment each individual right. auction is
2: completely different yeah I think auctions are easier than drafts in some ways because a draft you're just, you know, you, you got to play the hand you're dealt, you know, mm-hmm. you're just where you are and you got to wait, you just got to wait and you don't know if you're jumping the gun or not auctions. Like you can, you can balance your butt and you, know, you can manage your budget. You can wait and you can see what's going in the pool. It's so much more, I think auctions are easier and in some ways, like uh, less stressful than drafts. <laughs> I think a lot of times,
1: yeah, they, they can be. Uh, I think especially if you're prepared you know, and you, 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 you know like, OK, I want to get one of these three guys. I want to get one of these three guys. You get them, and especially with your style. You like to go ahead and get like three guys pretty early
2: and then yeah, sit back. I, I love that. It's just so – it's the way to go because I've done it once in labor. I, I just like drafted for value and got all these mid-level guys. And I finished sixth. It was actually my worst team in my best year. Have you ever done that but, in football? Uh, I've probably done something like it, and it's horrible in football. It's a horrible strategy. I think you because, did that in the State League one time, actually, and you and were very horrible. unhappy with it. Yeah. Uh, it's horrible because football is all about the difference makers. You can't – a bunch of fourth-round picks is not going to – a whole team of fourth-round picks is just it's not what you want. It I could work, I guess. Baseball is different because you need stats from so many different guys. You know, you have right. 23 guys on the roster. They all have to accumulate stats for you. And so you, you have they have bunch to of...
1: accumulate different stats. I think that's right. the big difference, too. I've, I've never but, played a Roto-style football game because, I mean, let's face it. There's, what, you know, rushing yards, receiving yards, like catches. Pass, I mean,
2: passing yards, passing. You can do
1: it. But, I mean, the whole point is just to get more and more and more. It's all points-based, you know, and. Whereas baseball, you have to worry about the categories. You have to worry about, okay, where am I? Where can I get my saves? Where am I going to get my stolen bases? There's only certain guys that can do it. In the case of saves, only one person per game can get one. And it doesn't even, you're not guaranteed to even get that in a game. Uh, Whereas football, you know, plays happen all the time. You just want your guys on the field making plays. You know, opportunity is a little bit different.
2: Well, it's also like you have 10 guys in your lineup instead of 23. And, you know, like last year, think about it, like Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson, Michael Thomas, those three guys Or you know, Dalvin cook, Aaron Jones, maybe they're like five guys who like scored all the points. I mean, last year was an especially top heavy year, but that's what matters is having those guys. It's not about, Oh, well I had Terry McLaurin and I had, you know, a couple of those guys were helpful, but like you can't win with a, a team of those guys in football. You needed to have a Christian McCaffrey or Lamar. You needed one of those guys at least. Right. And you know, that's how football usually is. It's like, did you have priest Holmes or Danny Thompson or Sean Alexander or Antonio Brown or whoever had the crazy year? You need that guy. And then some supporting cast. It's very hard to just go like solid guys in football.
1: It is. Um, it, it, it really is. It, I think there if you get into like a 14 team auction league, yeah, and, and one that has multiple spots.
2: Yeah, if you have like a ton of flex positions and stuff, it could, you could design a football league that was more like that, right. where you just needed like the bodies in there. And then a guy getting 12 PPR points was incredibly, every week was incredibly useful. Right. But the way fantasy football is usually played, right. um, those guys can fill in in a pinch, but. They're not that relevant.
1: Because yeah, in in fancy football, it really is stars and scrubs. You find that the scrub that becomes a star, oh, right. huge difference.
2: Or even if you find a uh, you know you find some scrubs that become serviceable, you get Terry McLaurin for nothing last year. Yep. And he becomes serviceable, and then you have your, a couple of your stars hit, and there you go. You you got right. you know you're one of the contenders. Yep. And you
1: find that running back that's a bench running back that becomes a starter, then it's just a night and day difference there, but especially if you get it to go with a couple of stars to go with it there. But uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the massive difference there. Um, so let's bring this all back. Uh, you've got, you know, we have subscribers that play best ball tens. They have dynasty league owners, but we had a, I would, I would guess a majority of people that play fantasy football, including people that subscribe to subscription services, including ours, uh, most of them, like they get, they they find their draft date. Like, oh, I gotta start getting ready. Um, do you recommend that they try to do their own rankings? Like, like I, I think I think it's really a good idea to have you know a general set of rankings uh, that you do yourself because you know that way you know why a player is ranked where he is. I and mean, when you kind of go through that process yourself, what do you think about that?
2: It just depends what your level of commitment is, right? I mean, mm-hmm. some people just are having fun; they want to root for something. I think for most people like that, just you know, use our cheat sheet. It's good, and then but step out of line to it when you have a guy you like, just a guy you watched last year, young player you watched in college, someone you like, someone you root for. Go ahead and jump them a few picks. No big deal. Um, that's what I would say. Just get a cheat sheet and then, you know, manually adjust it as you go. Uh, if you if you're serious, if you if you want to really test your knowledge and make predictions and, you know, be the best player in the world, uh, if you, you know, to the extent anyone tries to do that, then obviously you got to do your own. I mean, not, you don't have to, I mean, you can just look at a list and then pick and choose, but you can do your own rankings and research, but the, the rankings don't really matter, right? The rankings are just approximations The the list doesn't really matter. The list just needs to be ballpark a good, and, and you can even use like NFBC ADP if you make it recent enough as your cheat sheet, as your list. Mm-hmm. And then just jump guys that you like better. I mean, really, that's all you need. Um, the only problem with that is, you know, you, you want to be able to know who your sleepers are in advance. So you don't forget about somebody. It's very easy to forget. Oh, God, I'm, you know, Jarek McKinnon, you know, he's so low in this for some reason. But, I you know, I wanted to get him in the 13th round and I forgot about him and then someone took him. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just sort of like more of a minimalist now. I, I don't think.
1: Do you like, like you paper, just one piece of paper in front of you or one, a couple of pieces or do you prefer like a, a tool? What do you like
2: to use I, the most I, I I pa I, I mean I used to print it out. Now I just have a spreadsheet and I just – I mean it's so basic. But I bold the guys that are gone and I italicize the guys I took. That's it. Okay. Buy a position cheat sheet and I just go down the list as they're taken. And then you know when it's my turn, I see like the guys of the positions I need that are available and pick one of them. I mean it's – and it's just really – basic. I mean, I, again, I just think, yeah, I'm a minimalist with it. I, I don't think you need to know every single thing. Sometimes knowledge is dangerous. Like you'll hear something like, oh, this team really loves, say Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who's going, you know, in the, at the turn. And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. I, I wouldn't, I would take some guys over him. I'd probably take the receivers over him. Like, you know, guys like Tyree kill over him, but he's going and, you know, he could be a monster, but you hear, you know, like, oh, Andy Reid said he's even better than Brian Westbrook. Brian Westbrook was amazing. Andy Reid gets tons right. of mileage out of his running backs. And he Damon loved Williams. Westbrook, too.
1: It wasn't like, yeah. That, that, it was Westbrook
2: the, was, yeah. He was like the, one of the best receiving backs of all time. And he says Clyde Edwards-Solaire is a better route runner than Westbrook, better receiver. So you're like, wow, with Pat Mahomes on this team, holy crap. Right? That's just like the ceiling is like off the charts. And, you know, yeah, Damon Williams is there. but Damon Williams gets hurt all the time. And. You know he's just a guy in a cheap contract, not a high draft pick. Not, there's not a huge investment in him. They take this guy in the first round, and they're a Super Bowl winner. They obviously are a win now team. That's great, and it might happen. But I think that quote from Andy Reid is so dangerous because this can push him up in the pick 10, pick 12, pick 13. Right. Because that quote, but it's just like one quote. Like people say stuff positively about the guys they pick, especially in the first round. Obviously he likes the guy. He wouldn't have taken him there if he didn't. But. Maybe that's enough to take him in the first round. But, you know, there's already a running back there that could have been the Super Bowl MVP. It's just like you're taking this guy in the first round and there's a running back there that could have been Super Bowl MVP. That seems a little crazy to me. But that one piece of information. Now, if you didn't study, you didn't read about Clyde Edwards, you never clicked through. You just saw the cheat sheet. You know, that's you might not even you might be like, oh, that seems a little high. I'll just uh, take someone else in ADP and you might get saved by not knowing. So that, that's what I'm saying is, like, you start researching this stuff. It's not just getting more information. It's like, how do you calibrate the information properly?
1: Right. Well, it, it's one thing. You say something on draft day versus saying something in training camp, you know, and just and the, that's, that's the big problem, like, this year, too, is I mean, we're, not only are we going to not have preseason games, which might not even be that probative, but you're not even going to see, like, okay, he's working with the first group in practice today. You're not going to get any of that. Uh, because they're they're expressly prohibited from reporting that this year.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's not going to be great. You're going to be guessing. And again, I, uh, Clyde Edwards-Solar could be great. But for me, that quote has pushed him up around. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like that quote is just so huge. And you're thinking it's just something he said. Like he meant it, but I don't know. So it's, yeah, it's sometimes just looking at the ADP and then going with what you kind of know about players in the, in the game is, is good enough. And you know, you don't have to have a strong opinion. Maybe you just think, okay, I don't have any feeling about this Kenyan Drake guy, but I really like Aaron Jones. I had him last year. The guy's multi-talented. I want to take him ahead of Drake. Fine. Do it. You know, you don't need to have a strong opinion on every player. You you might just have an opinion on, you know, 10 players that you aggressively push above ADP and 10 guys that you, you know, don't take, even though they fall in, you know, half around below ADP. Right.
1: Uh, so that's, and that's one of those things where you, you, I think that's where, you know, experience comes into play a little bit too. Like when you decide, you figure out how to parse what the guy says and like, okay, well, it's Andy Reid. When he says this,
2: he means it, you know, or it's just, I, th- I actually think he means it. I actually think he means it and, it and it pushed him up for me a little bit. Also, like I'm, I'm taking him not too far below his ADP. But it's just the type of thing. If you didn't know that quote, you you'd be in the dark, but it's the kind of thing that could also save you.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's, it's very much true.
2: All right. That's a good way to finish. Um,
1: we'll, uh, we'll have more, we'll dive more into the details next week, but kind of wanted to have this whole getting started aspect here. want to thank, uh, our sponsors, dynasty owner and, uh, fandraft.com. Uh, thanks again for sponsoring us. Uh, Stay tuned. We get, we're going to have a podcast every day for you here. Chris and I will be back at you again next Monday. Uh, and we're, we're really excited about this season. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you'll uh, enjoy everything that we have to offer here for this. So, thanks again for listening. Please, as always, subscribe, rate, and review. Coming up tomorrow, got uh, Joe Bartell, and uh, we got Jake. uh, And we are super excited to have them aboard again, as always. And Wednesday, it'll be me and a guest. Thursday, be John McKechnie, Mario Puig, and Friday, our DFS pod. Uh, We got Andrew and Scott for that. So please lock it in. We'll be back at you again every single day. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.